Welcome to N of 5 Minutes, a podcast hosted by Stats of One, where we focus on discussing statistics that can be applied to an individual person instead of to a large group of people. If you're interested in these statistics and you're not sure what they are, we suggest checking out our website at statsofone.org. In these short episodes, we talk to experts in different fields about how they use statistics, and we ask our experts to talk about statistics in a way that's accessible to both scientists and non-scientists alike. Dr. Kibi McMahon is a clinical psychologist, yoga teacher, and the co-host of A Little Help for Our Friends podcast. Kibi completed her undergraduate degree at Columbia University, her PhD at Duke University in the clinical psychology program, and her pre-doctoral internship at Cornell and New York Presbyterian Hospital. She's currently a postdoctoral associate at Duke University Medical Center, where she investigates novel treatments for misophonia, which is an intense aversion to certain sounds. Having been trained in several forms of evidence-based psychotherapies, Kibi treats adults with a range of mental health struggles, particularly depression, anxiety, personality disorders, trauma, and general relationship problems. Her passion lies in helping people connect more deeply to themselves and to others. Thank you again for, for doing this, Kibi. No problem. And for talking to us. Um, so I will start with the first question, which is how would you explain your work to a non-scientist and or how do you use single case designs in your work? Yeah, my early work has been focusing on developing novel treatments for emotion dysregulation, so difficulties managing intense emotions. Um, I'm mostly focused on people with social problems like uh, personality disorders, like borderline personality disorder. But more recently, my postdoc, uh, I applied this work to misophonia, um, which is an intense aversion to certain sounds, like people who get super angry at the sound of chewing or smacking or tapping. Um and often uh, do things that are kind of ineffective, like avoid the situation, don't even eat with other people or yell at yell at others. So the study I ran recently in my postdoc was actually following your footsteps. So I got to give you the credit, but was a single case experimental design exploring um, unified protocol for transagnostic treatment for emotional disorders. Is that right? Uh, did I say the That's whole? Right. That is right. Yeah. God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so it's called the UP for short, um, but this is a potential treatment for misophonia that was originally developed for anxiety disorders, if I'm correct, but targets the same problems that were found in misophonia, like avoidance of discomfort or intense emotions. Is that right? Was it developed for anxiety disorders or? It was actually developed like for difficulty managing strong emotions broadly and then mm -hmm. tested first in anxiety disorders because it was developed at BU, which has an anxiety treatment clinic and does a lot of anxiety research. And so sort of the first recruited folks presented with anxiety disorders. And that's where a lot of the initial research took place. But from its start, it was Got all it. developed to treat um, difficulty managing strong emotions. Any emotion is available. Yeah. Um, that's, cool. that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So for briefly for the people who don't know what the UP is, it's um, a 16 session uh, treatment protocol. Uh, that includes a lot of different skills, like different modules and skills to address problems with um, avoidance or intolerance of intense emotions. And because it works so well with people who uh, really can't tolerate discomfort or intense emotions, that really works. That that was like a perfect fit for misophonia, which at this this time doesn't have any really established treatment uh, in behavioral sciences. So 
Tell us a little bit about why a single case kind of small sample study was the right fit for like this phase of research, especially for a problem that is so kind of new in terms of like medical understanding. Yeah, well, that's pretty much it. Misophonia is still not considered a psychological disorder yet. There's a lot of research being done at our center, the Duke uh, Center for Misophonia and Emotion Regulation trying to understand, is it like a symptom of another disorder or is its own thing, right? But right now the research is so new, but a lot of people are uh, discovering that they have it. There's something that they've struggled with all their lives and maybe it's gotten worse with COVID because they've been inside and kind of isolated from sounds they don't like. And so when they reemerge to the world, I think it's kind of overwhelming. But there's a lot of people who have misophonia, who suffer from those symptoms, who need treatment, but not a lot out there, not a lot of understanding about it, not a lot, a lot of understanding about how we can make it better or more manageable for people. So because of that, single case design is, is, is perfect because we don't know a lot. So if we were to invest a ton of money in a giant randomized control trial, we actually need a little bit of preliminary research to know okay, what kind of treatments do work? What don't work? What do you need to, you know, what kind of people does it work for? Um, But we don't know anything right now. We're all kind of shooting in the dark. We're all exploring things. So before investing in these giant million dollar NIH trials, it makes sense to get preliminary data to kind of look at, okay, let's test out this treatment with a few people and really understand over the course of the 16 sessions or before, during, and after, how does this treatment work with people with misophonia? So it, it really, th- I'm completely new to this kind of uh, study and I love it so far because it's really, it's really a, a, for me, kind of this new way of uh, really getting this first look at whether a treatment works for a new uh, disorder. It's cool to hear you say that. I think we've interviewed a lot of people who are like, you know, full professors, and this is their area of expertise, and they've, like, Mm. developed the statistics that you and I have used, like, in this work, right? It was interesting to hear the other side of it, like, that you're new to this, and it was kind of like an accessible form of study design, um, that it was something that felt really valuable, like, entering this, like, sort of unknown, less charted research space. Yeah, I really appreciate the experience, because it's, it, single case experimental design seemed to be great for people who are new in their career like me and new in the field because I don't have millions and millions of grant funding to do a big study. And um, I don't think that the NIH, National Institute of Health, would fund someone like me with that. And also this is a new area of research, as I mentioned. So with all of this, it makes sense to get just a a first look with this pretty cost-effective and simple way of gathering a lot of data, frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's look at our last question. What's something about this kind of work you want people to know or a misconception you want to correct? Without knowing what this was, without you showing me what this was, I, when I first hear the single case experimental design, I I think of case studies. Mm -hmm. Um, I think of the kind of the the classic descriptions of an in-depth work with one patient, maybe two patients, and it's just kind of almost anecdotal and qualitative in nature, the way it's written. And then from there, people 
go, oh, okay, from from that recount of one person's treatment, let's see if that works for many people. And the field now is just so data, you know, in, mm-hmm. interested, right? data, data bias. Like we want data, we want numbers, we want proof, we want statistics. Yeah, we and for, for good reason, right? <laughs> for good reason. And it's it's great to see that this is this has the benefits of both. You have this really in-depth look on a few patients as well as data-driven hypotheses, right? And you get to see things that I don't think I would be able to see in a big RCT, a big control trial. For example, because we're collecting data every week before, during, and after treatment, you get to see really what's going on on a you know, week by week level, right? So we're able to see, oh, it's not just does this treatment work? Does it reduce symptoms from before and after, right? We get to see like a little bit of what part of it works. Like mm-hmm. what weeks are people really making progress? So there's a, there's a, at the end, there's this big chunk of sessions devoted to exposure therapy and you see huge changes there. And I don't think you would know that. You wouldn't really see that that is what's really driving a lot of the effect or the changes in people's symptoms if you were to do this big, big control trial. Mm -hmm. So I actually feel like you get the benefit of the case study where you get this in-depth understanding of how treatment plays out, but you also get some numbers. Thanks for listening, everyone. N of Five Minutes is a production of Stats of One, and you can come check us out at statsofone.org. You can follow us on your favorite podcast platform, and we're also on Twitter at Stats of One, all one word. The views expressed by our guests represent theirs alone and not those of their employers, sponsors, or anyone else. Your Stats of One editors are Eric J. Daza, Claire Robbins, and Julio Vega. Julio is also our sound engineer. Thanks for listening and see you again at the next round of N of 5 Minutes.